one of the great pleasures as a pastor is to do baptisms. And we're so excited after the service, we're going to head down the beach and we're going to baptise some people. So if you would like to come along and support them, we would love you to come with us. About 10 minutes after the service, we're going to start heading down there and we're going to enjoy that time where we see people declare their faith in Jesus publicly, that they pass from death into life. And how awesome is that? I'm super excited for it anyway. So we are in our last week in our series called Rework. And it's all about the kingdom of God at working in us and then it worked through us in our areas of influence and where we work. And last week, Mike Hands, Pastor Mike Hands, came and preached on the Lord's Prayer. How prayer is central to the Christian life. Now, if we start with prayer and we put ourselves in that place where we're trying to submit to God, then God will work in and through us in every situation. And he looked at the part of the prayer that was about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. And he talked about the fact that there's different wills at play. There's our will and there's God's will. But we need to submit to God's will that God would actually work through us to touch the world with the gospel. And today, what I want to focus on is the kingdom part. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So today I want to talk about the kingdom at work. Because what this series has done is it's pointed to the reality that we're all commissioned by God to bring the kingdom of God as it is in heaven on earth in our specific areas of influence, whether it's in our relationships, our families, our workplaces, or just in the culture that we find ourselves in. Here's the question, though. Is God bringing the kingdom, or are we called to bring the kingdom? Just like last week when Mike said we need to submit to God and submit to His will in our lives, and then God will work in and through that, in the same way, I believe that we are commissioned to bring the taste, a taste of the kingdom of God on earth until Jesus returns and restores all things which he will. But there is a process we need to go on to actually live this out. There's a reality we need to understand. There's a king to submit to before we can actually embody this in our everyday lives. You know, all the different characters we've looked at over this series understood that they were working for something greater than themselves. They were working for a kingdom, not of this world. You might ask the question, well, what does this kingdom look like? Well, it's described in Revelation 21, and this is where John, the Apostle John, is having a vision of the end times, of when God will come back and destroy all evil and do away with it all, and he'll set up a new kingdom, a new heavens and a new earth. And John sees this vision of the new heaven and the new earth. And he says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. And there was no more sea. We just need to pause there. Because every time I read that, I'm like, where are the waves? Like, if there's a new heaven and a new earth, like, where's the surf going to be, right? Like, I'm like, there might be wave pools or something. I don't know. Let's just get past that. There was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. 
And he said to me, right, for these words are true and they are faithful. You see, this is what we look forward to. A kingdom that has been fully transformed where there is no more pain, no more suffering, where there's no more lying, where there's no more cheating. So if we Christians are destined for this kind of kingdom, then we're actually commissioned to reflect this the best we can in our everyday lives in the environments we find ourselves in. So before we get into this, I'd like to pray. So would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this vision of the holy city. This city, God, where you will come and you will restore all things, Lord. That there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sin. And we will live in perfect harmony with you and creation. Lord, we look forward to that day. And God, I pray that you would help me preach this message. Preach it with passion, with love and conviction, Lord, but also, Lord, that they wouldn't look to me, but that only look to you, the one who brings life, and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's this story of this king. Now, this king had this kingdom, and he just had a brand new son. The son was very young, and he had to go off and fight a war. So he goes off and fights this war. He takes his army to another country, and as he's fighting this war, raiders come to his kingdom, and they raid his castle, and they kidnap his child, and they take him into their, back to their country, and they put him down in this dungeon, there's no light, it's a tiny little dungeon, it's pitch black, and he's got no clothes, it's filthy, and they just leave him in there. And they come in periodically and just chuck food on the ground, and he just eats food off the ground. And that's how he lives for years and years and years, and this is all he knows. He only knows this lifestyle of eating off the floor, of not having anyone to talk to, no one to trust, no life, but then the king is on this mission to rescue his son. And he's looking high and low, and finally he finds out where he is, and he comes and he destroys the enemy, and he releases his son. And he takes him back to his kingdom, to his palace, and he puts him in this extravagant room. He's got this beautiful bed, and he puts all this food in there, and they put all these robes on him, and they say, we're going to come back, you eat and rest. And so the king leaves. And then there's the guards at the, at the door, they hear all this commotion, clanging and banging. All this stuff's going on in the room, and then all of a sudden there's dead silence. And the guards are worried, so they run and get the king, and they go, we don't know what's going on, but something's going on there, you need to go in there. So the king comes in. There is food all over the floor. All the clothes are all over the floor. And his son's in the corner, in the darkest part of the room, curled up sleeping. You see, that's the only life he knew. He didn't know that you eat off a plate. He didn't know you sleep in the bed. He didn't know that you keep your clothes on. And it took this time for this child to understand who the king was, that he could trust the king, that that was his dad. Then he goes on this journey of learning. We eat off plates. We sleep in the bed. And then he works out that his identity, his true identity, is not the one in the jail. It's the one who walks alongside the king. This is a bit of a picture of the journey of discipleship. You see, we have been set free from sin and death by King Jesus, right? And we start on this journey of discovering, discovering who Jesus is, this journey of trusting him more and more. We start to learn this new way of life, a life of love, 
of mercy and grace, and we realize our position in the kingdom, who we actually really are and who we're called and appointed to be, and that's to carry the kingdom culture in all of our lives, to be living examples of a different kingdom, a better kingdom serving the ultimate king. You know, we're all at different stages in our discipleship journey, but some of us are still stuck eating off the floor. Some of us are still living in the world as if we haven't been rescued from that, as if we're eating dirt and thinking that that's going to actually help us. But we've been set free from that prison of sin, and we don't actually know the king. We don't really know Jesus, and we don't obey him because we don't trust him, right? And we don't understand the reality of the kingdom we're part of, and we don't understand our place in it. So today I want to help us to stop eating off the floor and to start move towards God, move towards Jesus, and live a life that we're actually created for. And there are four things that I I need us to understand to start living out what our created purpose is. And they are, the first thing is the reality of the kingdom. That there is this kingdom. But also the reality, there is a king of this kingdom as well. And the reality of obedience to the king and also the reality of the commission, what he calls each and every one of us to do. So the first one is the reality of the kingdom. In Mark 1.14... It says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus is starting his ministry and he's coming out and he's saying, repent and believe the good news. This is the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's that close you could actually grasp it. He's proclaiming a different kingdom. So what does this mean? Well, the kingdom of God means the authority and the rule of the kingdom of heaven is now on earth in demonstration. It means the kingdom of heaven is right in front of them in the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Because the world we live in is not the representation of the world that God created in the first place. In the the Garden of Eden, we see that that Adam and Eve are tempted by Satan to sin. And what happens is sin enters into the world and it affects everything, right? It affects humanity and affects creation. And ultimately what we did is evil and humanity assumed the throne. We said, we don't need you. We'll take control. And you know what? God could have left us there. And just gone, what? You want to control? You want sin in the world? Fine. (laughs) Let's see how that goes. But he doesn't, right? From that very point, from even from the beginning, he began this rescue mission for all of humanity. And Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God is now available through him. And the cool thing is, Jesus used earthly examples to try and teach people the truths of the kingdom of God. So he would say parables. He'd say, like, the kingdom of God is like, and he'd go and tell a parable. The kingdom of God is like, and he'd tell another parable. And he used earthly things to to help them understand. He'd say the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Even though it's one of the smallest seeds, when it is planted and it grows up, it grows into a mighty tree and all the birds and animals, they take shelter in it. That's what the kingdom of God's like. The kingdom of God is like, like a fine pearl, an expensive pearl that is, it's worth selling all you have just to have that. Or the kingdom of God is like a farmer sowing seed. And as the seed grows up, some grow up and produce, but then there's weeds that that come up in between it. 
And so he uses all these examples to try and help people understand this different kingdom. But they didn't believe his words. And so he had to prove it physically and spiritually by miracles. And in Matthew 12, 28, he's having this conversation with the Pharisees. Because all the demons are subject to him. No matter what Jesus says, they obey him. And the Pharisees are like, what's going on here? Like, is he casting them out because he's the, like, possessed himself? What's happening? And Jesus says, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Like, you want to get a glimpse of the kingdom of God, that's it. That he has full authority. He shows the, the reality and the power of the kingdom of God manifests in the world. Jesus actually shows us that he has the ultimate authority and overrides all of this fallen kingdom. And Jesus shows us that he has power and authority over all things. Like all sicknesses, right? It says in the Bible, they all came to him who was sick and he healed all of them. There wasn't one sickness that he couldn't heal. People who were lame, people who were blind, people who couldn't hear. Nothing was too hard for Jesus to heal because he had all authority over that. Death didn't even have authority over him. He raised a young girl. He raised a young man. He raised Lazarus from the dead to prove that he even had authority over death. Then he had authority over nature. He's in a boat, right? And this, this storm just whips up and the apostles, the disciples are freaking out because they're like, we're going to die. And he goes, be still. And commands the wind and the waves to be still. And they do. They, they obey him. And then he has spiritual authority. Every single demon that he came in contact with, he cast out. They would throw themselves at his feet and say, we know who you are. You're the Holy One, the Son of God. And he'd say, be quiet, come out of him. And instantly they'd come out. So Jesus has authority in all of these realms. And he actually pleads with the people there. He goes, look, guys, if you don't believe my words when I'm telling you about the kingdom of God, please at least believe the works. At least believe the miracles. And that's why Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's actually right in front of them, and it's Jesus. Jesus is a representation of the kingdom of God, and he proves this to reality by having authority over everything. But we need to know there's at least three kingdoms at play in our lives. There's the kingdom of evil. There's Satan and his demons. And we don't have to look far, right, to know that there's evil in the world. Like, just turn the TV on. Open up the newspaper. Go on Facebook even, go on, in, on, on any sort of social media platform and you will see evil across the world. Like the world is broken, right? And there's evil present and active and drawing people and we can't seem to fix it no matter what we do. It's always present, right? We as humanity can't fix it. So that's one kingdom that's at play. The other kingdom is the kingdom of Scott and I'm the king and I sit on the throne and I say what goes, and I don't listen to nobody, I make up all the rules, and if I say it's okay, then it's okay, and I don't listen to anyone else because I'm the king, the ruler, the lord, I'm whatever, I'll give myself all those you know, titles. I don't listen to anyone, and that filter is what I think. But do we really believe that? Do we really believe that we don't have a broken heart, that there's something in the human heart that's broken? Like each and every one of us, if we really are honest with ourselves and we sit and we reflect, we know that there's sin in our hearts, right? We know that we're not perfect. We know that there's something wrong and it needs to be fixed. And then we have the kingdom of God. It's this totally other kingdom. and It's all about restoration of the human heart and the world. 
It's totally different to this broken world and our broken human heart. And it's the kingdom of love and mercy and grace. All the things that we find hard to actually live out. So the question is, what kingdom are you subject to and building? Are you subject to the world and building that kingdom? Or are you subject to your own? Are you the king and you build in your own kingdom? Or are you subject to Jesus and building the kingdom of God? You see, Sharon Hode Miller says, My kingdom versus thy kingdom is the great spiritual turf war of our culture. Across the ideological spectrum, we are people that simply do not want anyone telling us what to do. Can I get an amen? Yeah. You see, there is a battle of kingdoms in every single human heart. Every single human heart. And Jesus makes this bold claim in the Gospels. Jesus claims to be a king of a different kingdom. This powerful kingdom that has authority over all of creation. And that leads me to my second point, the reality of the king. In John 18, 33 to 37, Jesus is about to be crucified. And the Jews drag him off to Pilate, who was a Roman governor. And, and Pilate has the opportunity or the power to crucify Jesus, to make that call whether he goes to the cross or not. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. They bring all these accusations. So he wants to chat to Jesus. And it says, then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore says to him, well, are you a king then? Jesus answered and said, you rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth that everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He's like, are you a king? He's like, yeah, I'm a king. But a king far beyond your understanding. Far beyond what you can comprehend. You know, Jesus could have literally destroyed all of his opportunity. The angels could have come and destroyed anyone who opposed him. But he didn't do that, right? Why? Because he came to die for your sin and my sin. So he allowed this kingdom to overcome him and destroy him and kill him. So was he king of the Jews? Yeah, he was, but he was way more than that. And Jesus' life and ministry bear witness to the truth that he is the king. And in all these things, it shows that Jesus, not only the reality of the kingdom, but that that Jesus is king of this kingdom and he has authority of this this kingdom that's not yet fully realized on earth. And he talks to his disciples about serving two different kings or serving two different masters. He says, you can't serve two masters because you'll either love the one or hate the other. He says, you can't serve God and money because there's always going to be something on the throne. You can't have something else on the throne except for God because that's what you're going to serve. There's one throne in your heart Who's sitting on it? Is it Jesus? You know, if I'm going to serve a king, I want to serve a king that is a good king, right? Who has my best interests at heart. And this is the beautiful thing about who Jesus is. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve us. Think about it. This is the Son of God, the King of Heaven, God Almighty. When he came to earth, he could have said, bow down and worship me. Bow down and worship me. Bow down and worship me. But he didn't, right? Jesus' literal words were, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. 
I came to serve you and get you out of the prison that you're in because of your sin. The King of kings and the Lord of lords came to serve humanity. And we submit in service because Jesus is king. The reason why we submit is because he first served us. This is the gospel, right? That he could have just destroyed us, but he came in human flesh. He came and felt what it's like to suffer pain, to be ridiculed, to be mocked, to literally be spat on, to be scourged to the inch of his life, to be nailed to a cross to feel the pain and the depths of sin for each and every one of us. He did that to serve humanity. And when he goes to the cross, he deals with our sin and anyone who puts their faith in Jesus receives free forgiveness of sin. There's nothing we have to do. That's the king that I would follow. That's the king willing to lay his life down for me, willing to take my debt of sin, a king who then shares his position in the kingdom. I become a co-heir with Christ and be able to work with him and he empowers me with his Holy Spirit. What a king. Why wouldn't you trust a king like that? This is a king worthy of my worship. This is a king worthy of my praise. This is a king worthy of my adoration. This is a king worthy of my service of my submission, of my sacrifice. This is a king that I would follow into the darkness and fight for. Come on, tell me of another king like King Jesus. You can't. He's a king that has all power and authority but lays that aside for you and me. Therefore, we follow and obey, not because we're forced to against our will, but willingly submit to who Jesus is. And here's the reality. The reality of obedience. You can't truly say you believe in Jesus, that he is king and that he is God and not obey him. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus actually says to himself, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Just because people claim the name of Jesus doesn't mean they're getting into heaven. People come to him at the end times and they say, Lord, didn't we do amazing miracles in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he goes, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? You who practice lawlessness. You're saying you believe in me, but you didn't obey me. These are heavy words, right? But true belief is worked out in obedience, correct? I mean, the Bible is 100% clear on that, and the world would tell us that as well. Like when you think about it, if you truly believe it's not okay to kill, you don't kill. Now, if you truly believe that it's not okay uh, to litter or you truly believe in recycling, right? You want to save the planet. You don't they go then and throw a plastic bottle in the ocean. You recycle, right? Because you're living out what you truly believe. Here's the thing. Jesus is not just our saviour. He is king and Lord. And what we've done is we've convinced ourselves that we can just take salvation and forgiveness and not come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. To repent of our sin and put your faith in Jesus means you recognize that you're a sinner and God has made a way of dealing with that sin through the cross, but it also means you believe Jesus is who he says he is. And he says he's the son of God, God in the flesh, the ultimate authority. And that belief is worked out in action. You see, true faith in Jesus means we obey him and his commands in our everyday lives. And Jesus is talking to the religious rulers of the time in the Gospel of Matthew, and he's explaining them this parable about this very subject. In Matthew 21, 28, he says, 
to the religious rulers, tell me, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go today and work in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. He answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Jesus asked the question, Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, Well, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you, that I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. He's like, they've got these two people professing something, but one actually lives it out. One gets convicted and goes, oh no, I need to be obedient. He goes, which one is doing the will of the Father? Which one is really being obedient? It's the one who puts into action, right? Because we have these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, that claim to know God, but they're not being obedient to God, to love people, to care for them. And they're putting extra burdens on them. Jesus is like, you can say whatever you like, but unless you're following the will of the Father... You're not his children. And we, we, we say we believe, but sometimes that's just not enough because obedience leads to action. You know, when I first got saved, I remember reading the Bible. And when I'm reading the Bible, there's stuff in there that I'm just like, whoa, really? Well, I don't know about that. You know, like, I don't know if I have to follow that kind of thing. Um, but then I got convicted, right? I'm like the first son. I'm like, nah. And then I get convicted. And I read things like, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those that hate you. And I'm like, well, what about an eye for an eye? Like, I know there's lots of people in my life I probably wouldn't want to love and help. And... But Jesus is like, no. This is the different kingdom. And I had to get convicted, right? And I had a choice in that moment that I could either obey or not. But because I believe Jesus is Lord, I was willing to obey what the Bible says. Now, if we're willing to disobey Jesus, then we have to reflect and ask ourselves, do I really believe he's God and has full authority over my life? And the other thing, I, I love that God does not care about your past because he's died and taken that away. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, tax collectors and harlots or prostitutes, enter the kingdom of God before you. This is beautiful. Jesus is like, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. I've come and dealt with that on the cross. I'm going to restore you. If you come to me and repent and put your faith and trust in me, I want to use you. And that's what he did, right? Jesus made prostitutes and tax collectors and fishermen, apostles and disciples and powerful kingdom ambassadors. Jesus calls all people to be part of this kingdom. And we need to know we're in a fight. We're in a spiritual battle. This is not a game. And God's actually looking for people who will put their faith into action. And the reality is, there are kingdoms at war in this present age. And you know what? I'm committed to fight for King Jesus in the kingdom of God. Are you? How will the world know about this amazing king and this amazing kingdom if we don't tell them or show them with our lives? And this brings me to my last point, the reality of the commission. Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. There it is again, that call to obedience, right? Jesus is calling us to be obedient and bring the kingdom of God. We have been commissioned to carry the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven. And I get it, you know what? It's a big weight to carry, right? Like God wants to use me to bring a taste of heaven. How do I do that? Seems a little bit scary, seems a little bit vague. Like, where is the kingdom? Like, do I point to it? How do I, what do I do with it? Well, Jesus helps us. 
In Luke 17, he says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said to them, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. This is a beautiful thing. Jesus is saying, The kingdom of God is in, inside every single Christian. Every single person that's repented of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus carries the kingdom of God. Every single Christian carries the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We carry the kingdom with us wherever we go. And what does that look like? Well, we read in Revelation before at the beginning. We should be representations of of free from pain, free from suffering, free from sin, free from causing tears, full of love and mercy and grace in the presence of God. Church, you carry the presence of God. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. And here's the beautiful thing. He actually wants to flow through you to bring the kingdom into your workplace and into your life and into any sphere that you find yourselves in. And Jesus tells us that in John 7, 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But he spoke this concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus goes to the cross. He pays for the sin of the world. He rises again in victory over Satan, sin, and death. And we receive then at Pentecost the Holy Spirit. It comes down upon the church. And it rests on every single believer. That's that promise of a new heart we find in Ezekiel, a new heart and a new spirit. He says, I will pour out my spirit on those people. And they will have a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. They'll have a new spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, our hearts are transformed and we're meant to actually overflow with living water by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what does water do? It brings life, right? It brings refreshing, it cleanses, it restores. And that's what we're meant to be in the world. We're meant to be agents of restoration, not destruction. Agents of life, speaking life, not death. And see, Christians full of the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit, right? Of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that flow out from us. This is the living water that people taste in and through our lives. The question is, are these evident in your life? Are they evident to people around you? Are they evident in your workplace? You see, the fruit of the Spirit in every Christian brings a glimpse of the kingdom to come. We should be the aroma of heaven. Have you ever, like, smelt freshly baked bread? Like, when I get home, my wife bakes bread all the time, and I get home, and I open my car door out the front, and I can smell it out the front. Like, I smell this bread, and I'm just like, oh, I know what's coming. And the closer I get, like, I smell it more and more. And it's almost like I can taste it. Like it smells so good and I know what it tastes like. I can almost taste it in my mouth. That's how we should infect the environments we're in. People should almost taste what heaven is like, how you act and how you treat them. They should taste love and joy and grace and forgiveness. They should get a glimpse of a place of no sin, no pain, no suffering, no crying. That's what we bring into people's lives. Do you bring that into people's lives? Or do you reflect still this kingdom and its values? Do you bring hate and anger and selfishness and pride or gossip? Or do you overflow with living water from the kingdom of God? 
You see, we're actually meant to live different to the world, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Ben, do you want to come up? What if Jesus could say, the kingdom of heaven is like Hanisi loving the youth of Cooley and providing a safe place for them to come and know God? Or what if Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like Anna in a workplace loving the other staff, refusing to gossip, but always trying to bring reconciliation, forgiveness and peace? What if Jesus could say, the kingdom of heaven is like Jack caring for the elderly or or feeding the poor in his community? Could Jesus say, the kingdom of heaven is like, and insert your name? You know what? We're meant to bring hope. We're meant to bring the good news of Jesus. We're meant to bring the kingdom of God. You know what? I'm not standing here as a perfect picture of a man who is the best follower of Jesus. I struggle. I mess it up. Just ask my wife. She'll give you a billion things that I do wrong. Ask the you know, ministry team here at Cooley. I'm not perfect. But you know what? I'm convinced of the gospel. I'm convinced of the reality of the kingdom of God. I'm convinced of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm convinced Jesus is Lord and God Almighty. And you know what? I will spend my life pursuing more and more transformation of my heart and my soul by the power of the the Holy Spirit to fight the good fight. Who's with me? The question is, where are you at on this journey? Are you still exploring the reality of God and His kingdom? I would say keep exploring. If you're looking for the truth, Jesus says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. If you're looking for truth, you will find it. You'll find it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, I promise you. If you're at that moment now where you're at the point of repentance and receiving forgiveness and being set free from that prison of sin and putting your faith in Jesus, I would say, make that step. It'll be the best decision you ever made because you are going to come under a king that did everything for you. A king that wants your best, wants your flourishing and wants the flourishing for the world. Or you might be at the point where you've received that forgiveness, but you're at this point of of active submission, of learning how to obey and follow Jesus. I'd say get into God's word. Prayerfully consider it. Pray and be convicted and transformed by the Holy Spirit. Or you might be on mission for God. You might be in your workplace going, God, fill me with your spirit that I would overflow with living water. That people would taste that the Lord is good and turn and, and put their faith and trust in you. You might be there. And you might God, want God to work in and through you more and more. And as a church, we're here to help you take your next step in that journey. To help your discipleship journey to equip you to be effective kingdom carriers for the good of the world and the glory of God. Amen. Amen. We're just going to take a moment. And we're just going to sit and reflect. So if anyone would like to, to bow your heads. Where are you at on this journey? Like, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's open our hearts to God and say, God, am I sitting on the throne? Am I trying to push my way on and push you off? What areas of my life am I trying to take control and not giving them over to you? Trusting you are good, you are faithful. Because wherever you're at on that journey, God is here now. He is present. He is active. And He wants to bring life. And life in all its fullness. 
Will you surrender to him today? Will you surrender to King Jesus? And as Ash and the team play over us, this is your time to do business with God. Be honest. If you need to repent, repent. Use this time. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would even come right now. Bring your presence and your grace and your love and your mercy. Come, Holy Spirit.